31. If you have a Bible, let's open up there and we'll see how how far we get in our text. You know, I got to share with you, I want to cover a couple of chapters um, on Thursdays because I want to take you through the Old Testament. My, my prayer is that we would be able to study the, the Old Testament, you know, before. You know, before like, you know, 20 years goes by. I mean, maybe in about three to five years, we'll study the whole Old Testament as well as the New Testament. So we'll see how much ground we can cover tonight. I know last week we were really blessed with Henry sharing regarding the vows there in Numbers chapter 30. But tonight we're going to see a lot about God, the God of vengeance, the God of holiness, the God who rewards the laborers and the God who is able. But look what we read here in verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. And so Moses spoke to the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves for war, and let them go against the Midianites. Take vengeance for the Lord on the Midianites. Here we have the Lord's command to take vengeance on the Midianites. It's kind of interesting. Verse 2, it says, for the children of Israel. And then verse 3, it says, for the Lord. Now, if you remember earlier in the book of Numbers, chapters 22 through 25, what had happened was the Midianites, uh, along with the Moabites, the Midianites were within the whole land of Moab. They tried to curse the nation of Israel, and they couldn't do it. God's people can't be cursed. And so what they discovered is that Balaam said, all you got to do is send the ladies in there, man. You send the, the, the ladies in there and they got their makeup on and they're dressed a certain, you know, scandalous way. And we can get these guys to fall into sexual immorality and adultery and uh, idolatry. And what we found that what happened is that they couldn't curse the people from the outside, but the people being seduced could curse themselves. And so what we find in our text, if you read Numbers chapter 25, is that 24,000 people died. It was the Midianites' attempt to destroy the children of Israel. And so the Lord here, and we don't know how much time has passed, but he says, I want you to take vengeance on the Midianites. And I was reading that. I was like, wow, Lord, um, you know, a lot of times we don't see God that way. We don't see God as a God of vengeance, but but he really is. You know, you read throughout the scriptures, it talks about God's vengeance, if I'm not mistaken, 45 times. Ultimately, you know, the God of vengeance is found when Jesus Christ comes, the second coming. The Bible says in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8, that he will take vengeance on this ungodly world. But what we see right here is that the Lord takes vengeance on the Midianites because they messed with God's people. You know, the Bible says in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8, he who touches you touches the apple of my eye, God says. You know, and, you know, people come against you and people might say things against you and people might accuse you and people... You know, try to make you uh, mess up. And sometimes they do hurt you or they do even harm you sometimes. And it's kind of cool to know. I don't know if you guys find any satisfaction in this, that God sees all that. And I want you to know that even though sometimes they mess with our kids and they mess with people that we love so much. And, and we look at this and we're like, Lord, how can you allow this to happen? Uh, I think God wants us to know that, hey, I see. And I want you to know as a congregation that no one gets away with that. That one day justice will prevail. All wrongs will be made right. You know, it doesn't happen today, but it happens one day when God will settle every account. And God will take vengeance. And I think in looking at this, it's kind of cool to know that the Lord says, hey, these Midianites, they mess with you. And, and I want you, and you guys are going to be my vessel now. I want you to go, and I want you to take vengeance on them. Now, one of the interesting things we read there in verse 2, the Lord says, take vengeance on the Midianites for the children of Israel. And notice what God says to Moses. Afterward, you shall be gathered to your people. And so the Lord says, you're going to die. <laughs> it's kind of funny. The Lord says, I want you to do this mission for me. 
And then afterwards, you're going to die. And I was thinking about how he kind of said it just kind of like, you know, nonchalantly, okay, go and do what you got to do. And uh, it wasn't the first time the Lord had revealed to Moses that his time was coming, but he just kind of mentions it in passing. And, you know, the interesting thing in looking at that is that um, you would figure God would say, no, it's time for you to die. Um, Moses, you're about 120 years old now. And so you should take a vacation. And God says, no, go take vengeance. Go take a walk. And God says, no, go to war. And the Lord really spoke to me in that. And he said, you know what? It doesn't matter how old you are. uh, There's always going to be battles to fight. And there will be battles until the very end. I remember one time someone came to Dr. Duffield. And, you know, Dr. Duffield served the Lord until his dying breath, he was preaching the gospel. And they asked him, and they said, you know, you've been walking with the Lord for so long now, um, it, it must get easier, right? And, you know, you learn so much, you grow so much, and, you know, you've, man, done so much. And, and Dr. Duffield said, you know what? For me, it doesn't get easier. In some ways, he said, it gets harder, you know? And I don't know if that's true. I don't know exactly how all that works, to be honest with you. But I do want to encourage you guys as Christians to fight to the very end. That God will use your life. And today I had the privilege, I called Margaret. She's 70 years old, you know, and she's been sick for a couple of weeks. And so I called her just to see how she was doing and stuff. And man, crazy Margaret, man. <laughs> She is just barely could talk, but she's telling me about how she's going to the prisons, you know, and she's going to go minister in the prisons and how she's got this other event coming up and there's going to be 800 ladies there and she's going to minister at the table. And I'm like, Margaret, maybe you should get some rest, you know, maybe you should slow down. And, and um, you know, I know the Lord leads us all individually, but for her, she would have none of it. She said, I'm seven years old, and I'm going to serve the Lord. I was tripping out, Pastor Chuck, after all the things that he's been through, having a stroke recently. You know where he's at right now? He's leading a tour in Israel. God, 82 years old. And you're like, man, isn't there a time where we get to kick back? Yeah, in heaven. <laughs> but until then, um, we continue to fight. And that's what the Lord told Moses. Moses, afterwards you're going to die, and he will speak the book of Deuteronomy, you know, and that's going to be uh, his farewell message. But the Lord says, you know, you still got this one, one battle I want you to fight. I want you to take care of the Midianites and take vengeance on them. And so we receive some, some details here. It says in verse 4, A thousand from each tribe of all the tribes of Israel you shall send to the war. And so there were recruited from the divisions of Israel, 1,000 from each tribe, 12,000 armed for war. And then Moses sent them to the war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to the war with Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were killed. Avi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. And the children of Israel took the women of Midian captive with their little ones and took as spoil all their cattle, all their flocks, and all their goods. They also burned with fire all the cities where they dwelt and all their forts, and they took all the spoil and all the booty of man and beast. Man, in other words, the Lord gave them a great victory. Totally, man, total, total victory. They went in, they took vengeance. Um, They sent uh, a thousand soldiers from each tribe uh, 12,000 men, it says were recruited. Now, we're going to come back to that because later that might be a factor. You know, to recruit means like, hey, who wants to fight? Who wants to fight on behalf of the Lord? And we know that there were over uh, 603,000 males willing to fight or ready to fight. But who stepped up? Okay, now we see there were 12,000 that actually went out. And God gave them the total victory. 
wiped them all out. Now, the interesting thing about this, and I think for us it's important to know, is that, you know, when the Lord is for us, we'll win the battles, man. You know, the other day I was talking to my son, and, you know, it's kind of like just one of those things where you say just naturally, how goes the battle, son? You know, and he's doing his schoolwork. And so I ask him, how goes the battle? And, you know, and, uh, you know, trying to explain to him that every day is a battle. Every day is a battle. And I was telling him, but you know, son, the war has already been won. And Jesus Christ won the war for us. But now we've got battles to fight. And we've got to win these battles. And the thing that the Lord has shown me is that when he is really on our side, when we're really on his side, that we will win these battles, you guys. But when the Lord's not in it, or when we're not with the Lord, then we'll be defeated every time. You know, I was reading today, I think it was today or maybe it was yesterday, in my devotional reading about the children of Israel and how they had come to the brink of the promised land and they doubted God. They said, no way, you know, we can't do it. We're grasshoppers in their sight. You know, there's the children of Anak there. The giants are there. There's no way we can do it. And then they they doubted God and God said, okay, for that, you guys are going to wander in the wilderness for 38 years. And God, you know, gave them the sentence And then afterwards, you know, when they found out that they were going to be disciplined, that things weren't going to happen, what we find afterwards is that they went back to the city and they tried to fight it without the Lord. And do you guys remember what happened? I mean, totally impotent, totally without strength. I mean, they were humiliated. They were defeated completely. And that's the way it is. When we try to do something apart from the Lord, you know, without his strength, I mean, it's going to be embarrassing what takes place. There's no way. But when the Lord is with us, when we are operating under his strength, you remember what happened? The children of Israel later, they went in Joshua chapter six and they started just circling the city, just walking around the city. And the walls fell down. And God gave them the victory. And I just want to encourage you guys in your life, because there's so many battles to be fought, the battle to be that godly man, the battle to follow the Lord and ask him for wisdom in this specific situation that you're facing. Whatever the battles are, the battles in ministry, the battles in family, the battles financially, or whatever it is, you know, that with the Lord, this is the type of victory that he gives us. And it's so cool. Um, we need to have that understanding of what God does. You know, what does John fifteen five says? Apart from him, I can do nothing, right? Nothing. But Philippians 4, 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So walk in his strength. Walk in his truth. Walk in his confidence. Walk in the victory that God provides. You know, um, I think it was today I was reading in my devotional reading also about how, you know, um, the children uh, of Capernaum, when Jesus went to that portion of the, uh, the city, how the Bible says in Mark chapter 6 that he could do no mighty works there. Nothing. He couldn't do any mighty works there. And I always trip out on that. I'm like, Lord, why couldn't you do any mighty works there? And the Bible says it's because of their unbelief. They didn't believe. And so here we are tonight. And let me ask you a question. How is your belief? Is it strong? And you're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if it is. And sometimes I search my own heart. I'm like, I don't know if I have the faith, Lord, that it takes but it was so cool because Chuck Smith, he, he really brought some insight into that whole thing. And he said, you know, the reason that he could do no mighty works there and the reason that they had unbelief is just because they weren't, they weren't coming to Jesus. All they had to do was come to him and he would have healed them. And in your life and in my life, what that represents is all you have to do is, is to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, I, I pray for this situation. I bring it to you, Lord. I bring this on whatever it is and God will do a work and God will give you the victory, man. Because we really want to be 
like Moses and, and Joshua and Caleb and, and Jesus. We don't want to be like Balaam. Again, look at verse 8. It says, Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. Now, the interesting thing about that, you guys know who Balaam is, right? He was the prophet for prophet. He was the individual that actually taught the Midianites how they can seduce the children of Israel. And here we see him in this whole situation dying, it says, by the sword. I mean, they killed the kings. They killed the leaders of Midian. Uh, these were the men that had caused uh, confusion among the congregation. Uh, they killed Balaam, the son of Beor, and more than likely he was basking in his riches, thinking he was able to kind of have the, the best of both worlds, thinking that everything was going to be hunky-dory. And one day it all came crashing down. Balaam is definitely a warning for us. It's a warning for me. Manny, why are you in the ministry? Are you in the ministry for what you can get? Or are you in the ministry for what you can give? Balaam was a prophet for profit. He was a guy interested in you know, what he can get, not what he can give. And he thought he can live one foot in the world and one foot in the church. He thought he can straddle the fence and he did for a while until the day when everything came crashing down. You know, Balaam was a superficial individual. It's kind of interesting if you go back to Numbers 23 um, in verse 10. When he was prophesying and he was speaking, he says, Who can count the dust of Jacob or number one-fourth of Israel? And then he says, let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. He wanted to die the death of the righteous, just like I think all of us here, if we could kind of articulate it, if we can kind of say it, we would probably say, Lord, I want to do good in the end. I want to finish the race. I want to die the death of the righteous. But it was something that wasn't in his heart. It was just on his lips. He died in the war and he was shamed forever and ever. And like I share with you guys, for me, it really makes me search my heart. Lord, I don't want to be superficial. I want to be absolutely certain that I'm on God's side. Now, we look at this right here and we see, number one, that God takes vengeance. And so it's kind of good to know how God is. Not only do we see God taking vengeance, God, the God of vengeance, but we also see God, the God of holiness. Because look what we read next in verse 12. It says, and then they brought the captives, the booty and the spoil to Moses, to Eliezer, the priests, and to the congregation of the children of Israel to the camp in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And Moses, Eliezer, the priest, and all the leaders of the congregation went to meet them outside the camp. But Moses was angry with the officers of the army, with the captains over thousands and captives over hundreds who had come from the battle. And Moses said to them, Have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who have not known a man intimately. If you think about it, man, you know, how would we know how God is? You know, one day we'll see him when we're there in heaven. And I believe that there's going to be a lot kind of like just planted in our, in our hearts and our brain. And we're going to know so much. But now the only way we know the character and nature of God is the way that he has revealed himself to us. One thing we see is that God is a God of vengeance. And one day justice will prevail. Every right will be made wrong. God will deal with the disobedient. 
Another thing we see is that God is holy. And I don't know about you guys, but man, I've been hearing this a lot lately. Almost like too much, man. (laughs) It's like, okay, God, you're a holy God. Okay, God, I know you hate sin, but you told me that like, you know, over and over and over again. Um, But I think he really wants to plant this one deep in our heart, you guys. He wants us to know how holy he is. And so we look at this right here and we see they come back from the battle and, you know, Moses is is ticked. Moses is very upset with his leaders, the leaders of thousands and leaders of hundreds. And I don't know how he manifests his anger. I, I don't know if there's like steam coming off the top of his head or, or something or if he's maybe yelling. As for some, we know somehow, some way he's very, very angry. And the reason is they didn't really execute the orders of the Lord. Moses was angry with the leaders. They had killed the men, but the problem was they allowed the women to live as well as the boys. You know, and in looking at this, I was kind of like asking the Lord, but Lord, you didn't like explicitly tell them who to kill. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really see that in the text. All you said was take vengeance on the Midianites. And so I was kind of like, Lord, I can hear someone say, wait a minute, God, you were vague in your command to take vengeance. You know, they might even say, listen, I don't remember the specifics of the slaughter that were given to us. But Moses, as a leader, you know, had a right to be angry because this goes to show that their hearts weren't right. They weren't like-minded with the Lord. They weren't like-minded with their leader. See, Moses expected them to know what to do, even though it may not have been explicit within the commands. That's something to take into consideration. For those of us that like to get hung up on technicalities, God's deeper than that. The other complaint might be, Lord, you want me to kill the boys? Lord, you want me to kill the women? And God says, yeah. You see, the Lord says the women were the ones who seduced the men into sin and they slept with the men and the boys will one day grow up and rise up against the people of God from within. And you see, the thing is this, you guys, in looking at this, the Lord is really communicating to us a message that we can't toy with temptation. We can't mess around with sin. We can't just let it stay You know, in our home, we really have to take it all out. You see, we must kill all of the sin, all of it. Let none of it remain. I know we've talked about this before, how we need to be severe with sin, because if we don't, then it will destroy us. And that's the only reason. You know, some people will look at the way that God went in and he wiped out the, you know, the nations that were there before them. But God had given them 400 years to repent, and they didn't repent. And so God was definitely long-suffering and compassionate with them. But finally the day came where God would bring his vengeance. And, you know, I really encourage you guys to really understand that that's what sin does. That's why we have to have the heart like Moses to say, I can't tolerate it, not even a speck of sin, not even one weed of wickedness you see and you know i don't know where you guys are at in this whole thing uh, have any of you ever read that that book my heart christ home have any of you ever read that that little teeny booklet if you if you haven't i really encourage you to read it you know because what it does is it gives a, a really cool little story of how god wants every single area of our life he wants us to surrender we can't say okay lord no i just want a little you know sin over here let me just kind of hang on to this little thing God says, no, I want every area of your life, you know. And is that the way we see sin? I pray we would see it that way. You know, Moses' anger and concern here, they definitely remind me of another great leader, uh, a man by the name of Samuel. And when you get a chance, I encourage you to read 1 Samuel chapter 15, because there we see Samuel did pretty much the same thing. Samuel had pretty much the same heart. When God had sent Saul to destroy the Amalekites, to utterly destroy them, you know, uh, Saul didn't utterly destroy them. He didn't. 
you know, he went and, and, and he was kind of like proud of what he had done. And I know we can do that. Hey, look at how good I'm doing, God. And God is saying, yeah, you know what? I love you, son. I love you, daughter. But what about that area right there that you're holding on to? Why don't you give it to me? Why don't you yield it to me? You know, and what had happened with with Saul is that Samuel went and, you know, uh, Saul was all happy. And Saul's like, hey, I've done the work of the Lord. I've executed his commands. And then so Samuel said, well, what, what's the bleeding that I, what's the, I hear some animals over there. And, and what's that king doing here? King Agag, what, what's that all about? And Saul's like, well, uh, it's the people, man. You know, they kind of wanted it to offer sacrifices to your God. And he started making all these excuses. And so you guys remember what, what, Saul, what Samuel did? Do you guys remember? He got an axe and he hacked King Agag to death. You remember that? I mean, it's worse than the Chainsaw Massacre, I'm sure. I don't know, I've never seen that movie, man. I, I just have a feeling that it was worse than that. Can you imagine this old man, this old godly prophet taking an axe and hacking King Agag to death right there? Well, that's what God wants us to do with sin. Whatever sin in our life that maybe we're holding on to, you know, and even in a small setting like this, man, there can be people who are struggling with a sexual sin and they can be see people who are struggling with uh, other issues in their life, you know, you got to give it to the Lord. Otherwise, it will come back to bite you. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Okay, so does anybody here have a problem with lust? Just out of curiosity. Okay, right now, when I take, take your hand, okay, stick it in your eye <laughs> and pluck it out. You're right. And you're like, no way. Well, remember... Jesus is not speaking literally, but he's speaking severely. And he's just saying, whatever you got to cut out, if it's your right eye, if it's your right arm, you got to deal with it severely. Because that's why we see this, that it will destroy our life. And so we really need to have in our hearts the holiness of God. Here we see Moses commanded the leaders to wipe out the potential pitfalls even and not to play games with them. You know, this purity in God's eyes was so important, not only to get rid of the external evil, all these individuals here, the congregational evil, but even the internal stuff, even the personal stuff. Look at verse 19. It says, And as for you, remain outside the camp seven days. Whoever has touched any person, whoever has touched any slain, purify yourselves and your captives on the third day and on the seventh day. Purify every garment, everything made of leather, everything made of goat's hair, and everything made of wood. And then Eleazar the priest said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the tin, and the lead. Everything that can endure fire you shall put through fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water and you shall wash your clothes and on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward, you may come into the camp. And so you're looking at this and basically the the big message that I think God wants to sink into our hearts that, to be honest with you, is worth more than all the money in the whole world is this an understanding of how holy God is, how holy he is. We see he's the God of vengeance. We see he's the God of holiness. And not only is it them, those women who cause these guys to sin and those boys who will grow up and rise up, not just them and that, but me. You know, and and, and even as you walk and even as you war, and even as you win, you still sin. And God says, now you got to purify your own life. It's not just them who sin. It's all of us in one way or another, including myself. 
You know, and I really always have to share with people that, you know, sometimes you can look at someone who teaches the word or you can look at a leader or you can look at a, a pastor. And, I, and probably most of you don't think this, but but there might be one or two of you who do. And you think, well, I'm sure he doesn't sin. And let me tell you something. Ask my wife. man. And, well, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> I sin. I, I hate it. I don't take it lightly, but I do. And that's why, you know, I have to take these things and I have to know the holy God that I serve. And even though I walk and I war, and even in this case they win, there's still sin. And we have to come before the Lord and we have to examine our own heart and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? And as you really begin to ask God that, he'll share things with you and and you just have to deal with it and surrender it and give it to the Lord, you know, and, and in looking at this whole thing, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I do believe that there are certain lines that perverse people cross when they sin presumptuously or when they sin repeatedly or when they sin hypocritically and they continue to serve in the ministry and they know that they are way off. That That's a different story. I understand that. But we need to know that as we go through life, all of us sin in our life. And that's why we have to acknowledge our sins, confess our sins, and turn from our sins. It's always good to take a shower. You know, I tell my son, take a shower. He's all, Dad, I took one last week. Okay, it's all right. Take another one, man. Because <laughs> believe me, between then and now, I can even smell there's something going on here, man. <laughs> and in our life, you know, I pray that you would never reach a point of thinking that you've arrived. Or that they've arrived. Because none of us have. You know, I was talking to a brother the other day. And I was telling him how I like to attend a Bible study on Tuesday mornings over at Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. Where Pastor Rawl, he meets with his staff. And he talks a lot about how we need to live holy lives. And I was telling this individual, he talks a lot about pride. And he talks a lot about you know, prayerlessness. He talks a lot about sin. He talks about how we need to make sacrifices in the ministry. He talks about what a real husband is supposed to be and a real dad is supposed to be and what a real pastor is supposed to be. And to be honest with you, when I go to those studies every Tuesday morning, I get convicted, you know. And so, you know, my flesh might want to say, well, then don't go anymore, you know. But I need that. I need to get, you know, beat up every once in a while. I'll be honest with you. I don't think I've ever walked away from a Bible study thinking, well, none of that applies to me. I've had people come up and tell me that. Well, if you ever see any of that in my life, please tell me. And I'm like, you know what? We all need to grow. And there's always something, I think, that we need to improve on in our life. Here we see that these individuals need to be purified. And it says right here, it's kind of interesting, even the, 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 the plunder that they got, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, it needed to be purified as well. Again, conveying the message of how holy God is. But notice there's two things that they would use to purify it. Number one is the water, and number one is the fire. Now, in our lives, in looking at this, what it symbolizes, the water, Ephesians 5 talks about this, is the Word of God. And as you're studying the Word of God, and I know so many of you here are, and you're reading, and you're learning, and you're like, okay, you know, praise God, and He's changing your life by the power of His Word, because it's, it's even a working Word. It's a living Word. It changes your life. That's the water. It purifies you. But then there's the fire. Now, I like water. I like being in the water, but I don't like being in the fire. But this is what I've come to realize in my life is that if I really want God to purify me, then I got to go through the fire. You know, and even though I kick and I scream and like, Lord, I don't want to go through this type of trial, not this kind of trial, Lord, not this situation, Lord, please, anything but this, the Lord takes me through the fire. And he's going to take you through as well. And so like I've shared with you guys before, don't just face it, embrace it. Don't just ask God to get you through it. Ask God what you can get out of it. Lord, how can I grow? How can I be purified as you take me through this fire? 
And the Lord conveys to us that message. Listen, I'm a God of vengeance and I'm a God of holiness. It's good to know who God is. The third thing we see is that God is a God who rewards. Because look what it says right here in verse 25. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Come up, count up the plunder that was taken of man and beast, you and Eliezer the priest and the chief fathers of the congregation. And divide the plunder into two parts between those who took part in the war, who went out to battle, and all the congregation. And levy a tribute for the Lord on men of war who went out to battle, one of every 500 of the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep. Take it from their half and give it to Eliezer the priest as a heave offering to the Lord. And from the children of Israel's half, you shall take one of every 50 drawn from the persons, the cattle, the donkeys, and the sheep from all the livestock and give it to the Levites who keep charge of the tabernacle of the Lord. And so um, Moses and Eliezer the priests did as the Lord commanded Moses. Here we see what happened was, you know, they brought all the sheep, they brought all the livestock, they brought the donkeys, they brought the cattle, they even brought the people, right? And uh, what they did was they took it all together and then they divided it in half. Okay, half went to the men who went to war, the 12,000. And from the men who went to war, one of every 500 went to the priests. Okay, and they took the other half And they gave it to the congregation. Now, that's a lot to give to the congregation, right? But they gave it to the congregation. And what they did was they took that and one out of every 50 went to the Levites. And what you find is a really cool principle is that, you know, you got, you know, the whole congregation, we believe probably there were somewhere around 3 million people. Okay, they all benefited from the victory, right? They all did. And we all do benefit from the victory, don't we? We benefit from the victory from so many of you here that are out there in the front lines and you're praying and you're, and you're witnessing and you're serving and you're doing things, man. The whole congregation benefits, right, in one sense. But in another sense, who benefits the most? The ones who went out to battle. Huh. They're the ones. I mean, think about it. You try to share all these with, you know, three million people. You're not going to get a lot. Okay, but, you know, plus you get 50 out of every one that goes to the Levites. Over here, you've got the 12,000. Okay, now you're talking. And again, I think the Lord teaches us some really encouraging principles, man. You know, don't be in the sidelines. Be in the battle. You know, don't just be a, 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 you know, a pew potato. Is that what they call them? A pew potato? <laughs> You go out, man, and you engage in warfare. God will reward you greatly. You know, um, let the Lord lead you in the ministry. Be bold. Get involved. You know, here we see these guys. They went out and they fought. And like we talked about earlier, you know, they were recruited. And so, you know, we kind of do that recruiting. I don't know if that's biblical or not, to be honest with you. I don't think they had sign-ups in the book of Acts. I don't think they said, hey, whoever wants to get involved in this ministry, sign up at the back table. I don't think they did that. <laughs> I think they said, hey, you, I want you over here, man. You, I want you over here. And, you know, it's probably more like that. You know, we well, were American Christians, I guess. You know, we're like, okay, if you have time, please help us, you know. And I really encourage you, get involved. Get into the battle. Be one of the 12,000. Go to the front lines. God will reward you greatly he really will when you do it for the right motive and for the right heart with the right heart god will do an amazing thing i want to encourage you guys to be active to be in the front lines not just the sidelines and as you engage and you fight the lord's battles against the flesh the world and the devil i really do believe that god will give you the victory. Now, the rest of this uh, section right here, all the way up to verse 47, they give you the exact numbers of, uh, you know, sheep and 
donkeys. I'm sure one of those donkeys was a talking donkey, and so it probably had a little bit more value. But, you know, it's just a whole bunch of numbers. But look what we read in verse 48. It says, And then the officers who were over thousands of the army and the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, they came near to Moses, and they said to Moses, Your servants have taken a count of the men of war who are under our command. And check this out, man. Not a man of us is missing. Whoa. Not one died. That's totally the Lord, huh? It's totally the Lord. Therefore, he says in verse 50, we have brought an offering for the Lord. What every man found of ornaments, of gold, armlets, and bracelets, and signet rings, and earrings, and necklaces, to make atonement for ourselves before the Lord. And so Moses and Eliezer, the priests, they received the gold from them, all the fashioned ornaments and all the gold of the offering that they offered to the Lord from the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds was 16,750 shekels. The men of war had taken spoil every man for himself. And Moses and Eliezer, the priests, received the gold from the captains of thousands and of hundreds and brought it into the tabernacle of meeting as a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord. We see the God who is the God of vengeance. And we need to know that. The Bible even says he forgives our sins but takes vengeance on our deeds. That's a heavy one. Know who he is. He's the God of vengeance. He's the God of holiness. We saw that there. Didn't want any sin to settle in their hearts. Get rid of everything you see. Purify yourselves. We see he's the God who rewards. We're out there. We're fighting. We're serving the Lord. You know, Don't waste your life. I mean, you can go and you can get caught up in your vacations. You can get caught up in your hobbies. And don't get me wrong. We need vacations. Some of you, you need to go take a vacation, you know. Spend time with the Lord. Refresh yourself. But man, don't get caught up in this world. Serve the Lord. He's given every person here gifts and talents. And as you give it back to God, he'll bless your life. He'll reward you greatly, I believe, not only then, but even now. You know, I, I think sometimes when I look at certain individuals, I'm like, wow, there's only one of them, man. And they just have this gift to be able to do these things uh, for the glory of God. And, and I want you to know that you, I don't care who you are right here tonight. You got to know who, you have gifts. You have things to offer this congregation that no one else can. God made you unique. God made you that special place in the body. And so you give it to the Lord. He'll reward you. We learn about the God who rewards us. And then the last thing we learn in this chapter right here is the God who is able. And that's, I just called it the God who is able because I was just totally amazed that not one soldier died. Not one. And I was like, wow, Lord, you're so amazing powerful you watch over everyone you know i thought about other scriptures in the bible that talk about god in this way matthew chapter 10 verse 29 it says are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin you know there's two sparrows right there they sell it for a penny you know and not one there's that phrase again not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will imagine that's how intricately powerful god is not one sparrow falls to the ground. Not one star is missing. It says in Isaiah 40, verse 26, Lift up your eyes on the high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one is missing. That's how amazing God is. Not one sparrow falls to the ground. Not one star is missing. I was thinking about that scripture over in Deuteronomy 2, verse 36, where it says, There was not one city too strong for us. When I think of not one soldier dying, not one sparrow falling, not one star missing, not one city too strong, 
Even later in the book of Joshua 23, verse 14, he says, not one word will fail. I don't know about you. I just see a God who is able. A God who is able to give us that type of victory, you guys. That type of uh, life. And since he's able to give us that, as we walk in his strength, then what we see right here, the response of the leaders was to do what, man? Just to bring their offerings, to bring their gold, their silver, all the stuff that they had accumulated, and to give it as gratitude to God for what he's done. And man, I want to encourage you guys to have that understanding of who God is, that he is the God that can give us that type of victory. And I really want to challenge you and I want to encourage you to know that he is able. Sometimes I wonder what God's going to do in the church. You know, here in Almani, um, if I died today, I, I got to share this with you, man. If I died today, I would be like, wow, Lord, the amazing work you've done in this church. It, it just blows me away. I have the privilege, and I don't know if you guys, you probably do too, but I have the privilege of talking to an individual, you know, who spent years in prison, who, you know, came out of prison, and, you know, he comes up and he tells me, man, what God has done in my life. And then he begins to unfold it, and I'm like, wow, Lord, look at this man right here, this man right here, this man right here of infinite value, what you've done in his life. To me, I can die now. That's all that matters, Lord. If you touch one, and then you see him touching two, and then you see him touching three, and, you know, I wonder, Lord, what are you going to do? Again, I was sharing with you guys earlier how I was reading in my devotional reading about how, you know, the children of Israel, they came to the point of the promised land, and, uh, and they doubted, you know. And, uh, and so what did they do? They said, we can't do it. There's no way. You know, and of course, on our own strength, we can't do it, right? And so it just so happens that as I'm reading that whole thing, the Lord just lays it on my heart. And I'll share this with you guys Thursday night. There's not as many of you here tonight. You can't tell anybody. Okay, just us. If it leaks out, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go <laughs> and find you, man. Um, you know, this, this, the real estate agent, he calls and he says, hey, we got property over here in Valley right off the freeway right here. And, uh, you know, this is how much they're, they're asking for, you know, 35000 a month. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, 35000 a month. And then the Lord just brought the verse to my mind. What, what, God can't afford it? God can't. And I said, well, Lord, you know, you can, but we can't. <laughs> so anyways, you know, but then I just said, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to leave it into your hands. I'm, I'm okay where we're at. If you want to put us over there, that's fine. If you want to put us over there, fine. We're your church, Lord. You lead us. He reminds me he's that pillar of cloud by day, and we follow him. And he's a pillar of fire by night, and he gives us light on the road which we should travel. I really believe we're following God. But, you know, so I'm talking to this guy, and I'm saying, well, this is all we can afford. And I tell you what, maybe we can do this. And and uh, and he says, and I, and I expect him to say, okay, click, you know, because that's happened to me before. Or I gave an offer on a place, and the guy went, click. <laughs> but you know what this guy said? He said, just give me an offer. And I said, well, okay, well, here's, here's the offer. You know, we've been saving. You know, we're saving. We're doing the best that we can, and we're praying. You know, I'd rather not have to go to three services because then, you know, it kind of, you know, just changes the, the structure of the church. But, um, see, the Lord can do it. And in our life, when we begin to believe in God that way, believe that God can do it, what ends up happening is we take not only steps of faith, but we take leaps of faith, and God honors it. Some of you even just coming to this church, you're taking steps of faith. I see it. And God's going to honor that. I believe that. Sometimes I look back even at how the church even started to begin with, and I'll look at my wife and I'll say, what were we thinking? I, I don't understand. We both know how wretched we are. We both know how, how we're not able. We both know how we fall so short. And, you know, I was very happy where I was at. But, you know, the Lord honors those steps of faith. 
And when you realize that God can give you such a victory where not one is missing, when you realize how strong God is and how he can cover every detail, I think it it encourages us to know to go forward, to go forward in this thing that, that we're not alone. God is with us. God is with you as a parent. God is with you as a husband or a wife or a minister or whatever it is. And when God's in your corner, let me tell you, man, you're going to be in great shape. See, and we learn this about the Lord, and I, I just think it's so cool. Um, real quick, chapter 32 of Numbers. It says, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock. The children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and they spoke to Moses, to Eliezer, the priests, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Ataroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliah, Sheban, Nebo, and beyond the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Now, as you study the Old Testament and you look at the geography, um, what you find is that, you know, the, the Lord had promised the children of Israel initially to go over the Jordan. And they were supposed to be on the, the west side of the Jordan. But what we find is the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, we're going to see later, they didn't want to cross over the other side of the Jordan. They said, you know what, we'll stay on the east side of the Jordan. Because they kind of looked at the, the grass and they said, it looks kind of green over here. The grass is greener on the other side of the Jordan, you know. And so they said, we've got livestock. What do you say, Moses? We'll stay on this side, okay? And what we find is that was a big mistake, you know, when the Syrians came in and the Assyrians came in, guess who the first tribes were that they conquered? Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh. See, it was an idea that they came up with. Be careful when you come up with their own ideas, man. Hey, I've got a bright idea. And you start brainstorming. You're going to be in big trouble, man. No way. we got to follow the Lord. And the Lord never said, I want you on this side of Jordan. The Lord said, hey, I want you on the other side. You're going to cross over and you're going to begin to spread out from this area. You know, later on, we'll even see in the end of Joshua, it caused confusion among the congregation. There was a division between them. And I don't, the Lord doesn't want a division. He doesn't want a division in this church. He doesn't want a division in any ministry. He wants no cracks in the congregation. He does not want a division in your home. You've got to be on the same side of the Jordan. You've got to be together. Be careful when you start looking at things like Lot did. He started looking at things from a human perspective and saying, you know what, I think I like this area right here. It looks really nice, this place called Sodom and Gomorrah. We've got to look at things from the Lord's eyes. And so it was kind of a double, you know, whammy for Moses. Number one, you know, they said, hey, we're going to stay on this side. And number two, they didn't really explain the the whole plan that they had. Because look what happens. It says in verse 6, And Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. I mean, Moses was a great pastor. He had a heart for the whole church, for the whole congregation. And man, he didn't want anybody to be discouraged. He didn't. He said, man, if you start talking like that, you start thinking like that, you know, you're going to stay here and you're not going to fight with us together. You're going to discourage the people. And, and he didn't want that. 
And he talks about it right here. It says in verse 9, For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel, so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. And so the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. And so the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Now again, Moses didn't know that they were going to see later. They planned to go in and fight with the brethren. But Moses here teaches them the way that in the past they had been defeated. You know, and they say history has a tendency to repeat itself. But we need to learn from the mistakes of our forefathers. We need to learn from the mistakes sometimes even of our brothers and sisters. And Moses right here says, listen, you guys, we've been here before. Don't discourage the people. Don't bring doubt among the disciples. And so they respond and they, they kind of explain, no, Moses... It says, and then they came to, to, to near to him and said, we will build sheepfolds here for our livestock and cities for our little ones. This is our plan, Moses. We're going to build here. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance for we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond because of our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. And then Moses said to them, Okay, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for the war, and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord. And before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. And so you look at it, and their plan was no, we'll go, we'll fight, not until they inherit their inheritance and they get their land will we come back. And Moses says, okay, in that case, I tell you what, you can do it. And I believe he gave them the permission reluctantly. But he says, if you don't do it, if you enter into this vow, kind of like even what Henry was talking about last week, and you make this vow and, and you don't fall through with it, right here, verse 23 is a classic verse. Be sure your sin, it'll find you out. Your sin, it'll catch up with you. Your sin, it will be exposed. And so he says in verse 24, Build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what is proceeded out of your mouth. And the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, Your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks and all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over every man armed for war before the Lord to battle just as my Lord says. And as we see, we're going to see eventually when we get to the book of Joshua, they did follow through with this. They did go in, they did fight, and once it was all done, they returned to their land. Um, but most Bible teachers believe that they were not in the perfect will of God, that they were in the permissive will of God, that God allowed them to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan but that was not his heart. As a matter of fact, look what we read next. It says in verse 28, So Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, 
and to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad and the children of Reuben cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered and saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We will cross over armed before the Lord into the land of Canaan, but the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. Moses just wants to make sure that these guys really enter into a formal covenant, a contract. He brings the priests, he brings Eliezer out, and he just kind of makes it a very formal thing. And they say, okay, we'll do it. But look what we read in verse 33. So Moses gave to the children of Gad, to the children of Reuben, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, the land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country, and the children of Gad built Debon, Atara, and Arar, Atroth, and Shofan, and Jazer, and Jagbaha, Beth Nimrah, and Beth Haran, fortified cities, folds for sheep. And the children of Reuben built Heshbon, Elieleh, Kirchthame, Nebo, Balmion, their names being changed, and Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they built. And it kind of sounds good, huh? Hey, man, they're building cities. This is neat. <laughs> but look what it says right here. It says in verse 40, And so Moses gave Gilead to Mekur, the son of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also, Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havath Jair. And then Noba went and took Kenath and its villages, and he called it Noba after his own name. Whenever you start naming towns after yourself, something's wrong. Start naming, oh, the town of Jair, you know, and after yourself. And, and that right there, right off the bat, we see, okay, something's wrong. They're in it for themselves. You know, and that's why you got to be careful, man. If you guys, if the Lord ever raises you up and you become some minister or you start some ministry or whatever, don't name it after yourself, okay? <laughs> the ministry of, you know, and you put your name there. That's a, a real, real ugly thing, you know? We are in this, you guys. We are in this totally, totally for the Lord and not for ourselves. And we have to make sure that we catch that vision. I don't think that Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh really understood that. As a matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. And we'll close with this. John Corson was uh, teaching on this. And he was talking about how when Jesus crossed the lake, he went to this place called the, the Gadarenes. And that was the place where we just see right here, Reuben and Gad. Get it? Gatherings? And the half-tribe of Manasseh were. And remember what Jesus saw there? Remember what he saw in that territory? He saw some men that were demon-possessed, cutting themselves. He saw the whole area right there raising pigs, something that was not legal for the Jew to do. When Jesus went into the land and he healed that one demoniac man and he found him clothed and in his right man, smiling, sitting at the feet of Jesus, you remember what the people did? They said, go away. Go away. And you see what John Corson was saying is that's what ends up happening when you're on the wrong side of the Jordan. You guys, we need to cross over to the right side of the Jordan. Otherwise, we're going to find ourselves demon-possessed, cutting ourselves, raising pigs, and telling Jesus to go away. Okay? Let's cross over, man. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, Lord, for your love, for your grace. Lord, there's so much in our study tonight. We learn about your, who you are, the God of vengeance, the God of holiness. The God who rewards us if we would go out there on the front lines and the God who is able so that not one 
would be missing. Father, I even think of the congregation here and I think of uh, each and every one of my brothers and sisters here tonight and how much you love them, Lord God, and the work that you're doing in their life and the work that you're doing through their life. And I think of their children, Lord God, and I think of, Lord, everyone in this congregation, Lord. Father, I pray that not one would be missing that each and every one would have that victory, that even some that maybe have drifted away or gone away or are away would come back. And God, that you would do an amazing work. I pray in my own life, Lord, that you would help me. Help me to make sure that I'm on the right side of the Jordan, Lord. Not what I see with the eyes of my flesh. Not looking, you know, the grass is greener on this side but saying, no, I will be with God's people. I will be with, with God. And so I pray that tonight, Lord. May you continue to take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. Lord, wash us with the water of your word. And, and Father, purify us in the fire. I love you, Lord. And I thank you and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.